0: A very good morning to you. It is three minutes past eleven on Sunday, the third of March. This is Gavin Riley with you on on the record on News Talk for the next two hours. Get in touch with the program five three one zero six is our text number out of cost of thirty cent. We are also on Twitter at News Talk FM and at Gav Riley. Busy show on the way, but we will start as we always do by taking a look at the Sunday newspapers and our panel in studio this morning. Neve Lyons, political editor of the Ireland edition of the Times. Good morning, Neve. How are you? Gav? Um, Avril Power is the chief executive of the Irish Cancer Society and a former senator. Good morning, Avril. Good morning. And Sean. Shona Murray is Europe Correspondent with Euronews based in Brussels. Good morning, Morning, Shona. Uh, Thank you all for being with us this morning. Uh, A quick tour of some of the front pages. The Sunday Business Post understandably has quite a lot uh, inside its pages about the uh, the culmination of the legal challenge taken by Dennis O'Brien against them, uh, resolved in the High Court on Friday. Uh, quite a lot of extensive coverage inside and we'll come back to that in a few minutes. The front page story though pressure mounting as construction workers lodge a 12% pay claim. Cost pressures ar- across the economy look set to rise as construction workers have lodged a 12% pay rise uh, claim over the next three years in a move which could add to the spiraling cost of the National Children's Hospital and the price of building larger housing schemes. That is of course great news for the government and everybody concerned 1.7 billion and counting uh, front page of the Sunday Times also deals with that high court case now, O'Brien tried to throw out the jury in lost libel case Mark Ty reports that Dennis O'Brien tried to have the jury in his defamation case against the Sunday Business Post discharged after the trial judge referred to the businessman's notoriety in an opening speech in his initial instructions to the jury the judge Bernard Barton said that O'Brien was entitled to be treated like any other citizen but quote because of the notoriety attached to him it was inevitable that there would be media coverage of his defamation case against the Post Um, also uh, underneath there a mystery 32,000 euro gift to Revenue Revenue has received 62,500 euro in anonymous contracts money payments over the past three years, including a single bank draft made out for thirty-two and a half thousand euro. I strikes me about that is that if it's all anonymous, then no one can cite that as grounds for a settlement afterwards. Um, Sunday Independent front page, a really in-depth story, uh, a piece written by Jacqueline Connolly who is the sister of Claude de Haul. She has written an extensive piece inside the paper. And the front page story that's based on it is that Alan Hall was seen driving his car close to the school where he was deputy principal in the, quote, very early hours after he murdered his wife Clodagh and their three boys, her family have been told. In a powerful and moving account published exclusively in today's Sunday Independent, Clodagh's sister Jacqueline Connolly reveals for the first time that a local man told her that he and another person saw Hall driving near Castle Rahan School in Cavan in the early hours of August 29th, 2016. We'll come back to that again in a few minutes' time front page of the mail on Sunday my suicide attempt after PAC mauling this is a story about how Angela Currans has uh, seemingly written a new book where she discusses her attempt to take her own life after her encounter with the PAC which of course was also uh, the matter of some court discussion this week as well uh, the Irish Sunday Mirror husband charged with Cathy murdered the husband of a mother of three found stabbed to death appeared in court yesterday charged with her murder Kathy Ward was discovered in her home uh, in Dublin last week uh, the solicitor says the 51 year old client uh, has been uh, excuse me turning the page Assessed by a doctor while in custody. Uh, he has been remanded in custody until an appearance at Cloverhill District Court next Friday. Uh, and finally for now, the front page of the Sunday World. Uh, loot to kill. Guardie to follow the money trail after Troy's bagman is murdered. Uh, hit may be a link to a vicious West Dublin feud that's claimed four lives. So uh, plenty in the papers but we'll start with the, the story that's dominating uh, a lot of the coverage and that is the conclusion uh, of Dennis O'Brien's unsuccessful libel case against the Sunday Business Post during the week. Uh, Neve Lyons, your thoughts on it and the coverage in the papers today?
1: Yeah, very interesting coverage. There's actually a lot to chew over for the government if they're reading it today. And as you said, I think the Biz post probably stands out as you would expect. Um, Owen O'Dell has a very interesting piece um, about whether or not this should ever have reached court. Mm. Um, and if the government were minded to kind of sort of review um, the process, I think it's it's it would be interesting to see whether we should give the Press Council a stronger role. There's always been talk of how it's been you know kind of toothless in the face of these kind of actions but should parties be forced to sit down and mediate mm. um, before things get really really expensive I mean as everyone knows a day in the high court costs you about 100,000 euro and it's an it's a total gamble it's a roll of the dice as to whether you know you're uh, going to come out the winner or the loser and then be lumped with all of these but costs The
0: reason why he's raising this theme is because it doesn't appear that in this instance there was any attempt to try and mediate through the press council that yeah. it was a case of immediately going down the judicial route
1: Yeah, and obviously, if you can afford to do that, as we know, the uh, billionaire Dennis O'Brien can, then it seems that the likes of of someone of his wealth has greater recourse to the courts Mm -hmm. than, say, another individual. Mm. Now, I think the other issue here is, um, should these cases be heard in front of juries? We only heard during the week that a massive payout of 10 million euro was reduced down to 250,000 in Hmm. another case because that was a figure arrived at. Now, I have to say about this particular jury, um, they really seem to have have given it a lot of thought. It often worries me when I see uh, libel cases reaching court that the question is never asked about... What we want from society, it always seems that 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 people are primed to kind of believe that if someone is suing, they must be right. And that's an easy trap to fall into. But the question here is, should a newspaper publish something that is of value and interest to the people and the public reading it? And if you're talking about a bank that was bailed out mm. uh, with taxpayers' money, then who was borrowing from that bank at that particular time was absolutely of public interest. Yeah, well, interest. I, I do
0: think there's there's definitely a, a a line to be drawn or to try and, and crystallise the difference between what might be, you know, an unfair commentary around someone and what is clearly an editorial decision. But but on the point you make about whether there should be juries, I think some people would say, OK, you could point to the Kenmare Resources case and the, mm. the jury arrived at the, the total of 10 million euro. But at the same time by their nature are uh, trials about libel and and defamation is it not ultimately whether your average reasonable person sees a person as being defamed and therefore there has to be a jury involved. And look
1: the only courts in this country that don't have a jury are the special criminal courts the ones that hear the most extreme cases of Mm. violence where juries might feel threatened Um, the only difference here is I suppose when you're balancing someone's reputation it can be very difficult for a person sitting there to not themselves feel aggrieved and feel like well i'd hate to see my name in the paper but o'nodel makes the point that In the United States, this would never have reached the court because people who are kind of well-known public figures like Dennis O'Brien almost have a higher, uh, they're they're sort of held to a higher account. So they they would expect to have this type of talk about themselves in the newspaper. And I suppose the other issue here is the chilling effect. The idea that perhaps there was, and we know from the evidence given by Tom Lyons and Ian Kyo that there was a conversation about potentially leaving him out of this coverage. And the way they looked at it was, well, look, you know, he is uh, one of their biggest borrowers. He belongs in this group. Um, You know, if we were to leave him out, would we be doing the public a disservice? It would have been easier to do it. Uh, So is that conversation happening across newsrooms across the country just for an easier life? Possibly. That's not a situation that you want. But I have to say as well, Gav, you know, the... The issue with Dennis O'Brien's name, if you take, for example, the case that's coming back up again in Supreme Court next week.
0: Mm. Um, yeah, this is the, the ruling on Tuesday. His, his challenge against the clerk of Doll Aaron because of how there was no disciplinary action taken against TDs who discussed his private banking affairs on the floor of the Yeah.
1: Dáil. Now, his name has been mentioned more than any other private citizen's name in the Doll. He's become kind of the bête noire of the left. And people need to be really careful about throwing somebody's name around like that um, because it almost feeds into this idea that perhaps He is getting undue uh, public attention on these occasions that he's being pulled into things that he doesn't necessarily believe he should be. So we're going to be talking and I know a bit later about Angela Cairns but Mm. this is also about politicians taking responsibility in that regard and making sure they're not just throwing names around. It's a huge privilege to be allowed to name someone um, and to essentially uh, you know, have absolutely no way of being sued yeah. after
0: a, a privilege which we thought until a few days ago was something that the courts had absolutely no right to intervene in or mm. to cast judgement on at all. Um, Sean, anything that strikes you from the coverage today? Yeah,
2: I mean, I'd agree really with Neve. I think uh, part of the, I mean, it's Od- Odell's piece again, like part of the idea of whether you have maybe that you have, this has to be a mandatory Try, um, a position where you have to go to the press council a strengthened independent press council initially to mediate in these circumstances mm. might deal with the chilling effect because part of the reason why you know uh, journalists uh, feel vindicated in this position is because of that sort of David and Goliath thing where somebody who has a lot of money can uh, take you to court and there you could find yourself you know closed or uh, you know your career coming to an end or you know mm. from a monetary uh, perspective but if you so, yeah, the, so, so the, there's a fear The in
0: circumstances ge- of losing a case like that are so grave financially speaking exactly. that, I mean, yeah. as and the paper even paper. says itself the Sunday Business Post today carries commentary that says that the future of the publication would have been in peril if they had been if they'd lost that case Exactly
2: and well the chilling effect impacts not just in from a def- defamatory point of view and libel law it's anybody trying to exercise their rights in the courts because often uh, the average person doesn't have the money to pursue uh, you know legal mm. co- recourse in the courts but when it comes to uh, this situation if you had a mediation then you may not need as much money for example and then you could defend yourself in that in that way so that I think could be a re- one of the sort of solutions that comes out of this mm. uh, situation um, so I think that's really important and also I think that Neve is making the point there and it's El- Emmett Oliver's piece in, this, in the Sunday Business Post where the, the nature of the case the reason why it's getting so much attention as well is because it is of such substance and it relate- relates to the state and uh, the sort of Banking system, mm. so I think. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it's certainly we do. And then you know, naturally, we're having this conversation all over again about libel laws in this con- in this country. There seems to be a conversation
0: we've been having for years. It does. And the
2: thing is about the jury as and well. And talks about
0: reviews for years, and we've never gotten anywhere closer to something being put on paper to resolve it or to review it all.
2: Exactly. And again, the thing is about the question of juries. You know, the the law is in the in you know the, in the mind of the right thinking person was this person defamed. Mm. So therefore, you do have to have. Have the average person decide mm. whether, in their mind, um, you know, this was this amounts to defamation? And actually, the, and mm. as Eve was saying as well, you know, the jury came back on several occasions mm. uh, requesting, you know, confirmation on some of the queries that they had. So they did take quite a bit of time mm. to consider the position. But it's unfortunate as well as the Sunday Times reports um, that the, the judge used such a.
0: <laughs> yes, you know, know that, that, a, that a term, is a you know, a notorious, which,
2: which, is, which does actually uh, yeah, and even the in, in, in a negative light, Yes, sure. the dictionary
0: definition th- there's does nothing open mind, well. oh,
2: There's nothing open to interpretation there. Um, and I suppose, though, Avril,
0: that if you're talking about where if there ought to be some balance or some review of all of this, the fact that the test is objectively whether a reasonable person believes that someone's reputation has been unfairly harmed means that If you always have to have that kind of jury aspect, then it's more difficult to make it mandatory to go to the press council first, for example, because if you go to a press council mediation, there isn't going to be any jury there to act as the objective observer to decide whether someone's been unfairly smeared or not.
3: Yes, but then there are other areas of law where we have put in arrangements where people have to go to mediation or have to go to another body first. And one of those is in personal injuries cases where Mm. with very few exceptions, you have to go to the personal injuries assessment board. Um, And if you don't, if you attempt to go straight to court, the court can actually refuse to hear the case. Um, And I think that's I think. That's fair because, as as Shona and Neve have said, you know most people don't have the for majority of people court isn't an option. They mm. can't afford to risk their their family home, their uh, limited personal assets. So it really is a, only an option for those with deep pockets, and yeah. that is unfair. So I do think we need to look at bring in a fair system where you can weigh up that balance it, it, look every democratic society struggles with the balance between freedom of expression on the one hand and the role of the media in, in promoting the public interest making sure that people are held to account mm. Um, and on the other hand people's right to a good name and that's a balance that as you said in editorial rooms every night people have to make that call and they do it with as the Sunday Business Post did with the best legal advice that they can get but it's always going to be a difficult call Mm. Um, and it's important that we have a system that ultimately independently of that can decide what's fair and what's right without having to go down, go down yeah. the court route. And
0: the, actually, I think Susan O'Keefe's piece in the Sunday Business Post is quite good on the topic as well because there is a perception out there sometimes that journalists can always universally take the approach of publish and be damned which is not the mm-hmm. case at all and that journalists are very keenly aware that the right to expression and publication is not absolute and there's other things that have to be borne into the mix as well. And
3: I think that's important as well in relation like the other, bi- the other big story this week in relation to Imrakta Inquiries and the yes. Cairns, mm. because being a member of the Oroctus. Is it comes with great privileges but it also comes with responsibility and I think it's really important that when people are using that parliamentary privilege and the right to name somebody in the in the I'm um, that you do it in a responsible way and I think unfortunately with the PAC in recent years it has a very proud history in things like the Dirt Inquiry where it recovered a lot of money for the state and got to the bottom of that issue but in recent years it seems to have become more about bites rather than insights um, and people getting on the news rather than getting to the bottom of Issues of public interest, and I think that's very dangerous for the aractus because it's a really important power of the Oractus and one that we need as a society—the so y- ability to hold people to account. Look at
0: that ruling from the Supreme Court earlier this week with a heavy heart, or anything of the sort. You don't think that there's a chilling effect involved? No,
3: I, I, th- I think uh, politicians need to be careful if they're going to maintain that really important role of being able to hold people to account wi- out um, through the aractus process, as is the case in other countries, like say the Senate in the US does does that a lot. Mm. Um, but you do need to be careful, and the. Re- the we had a referendum on this in 2011 and the people voted against giving politicians more power through Oireachtas requires and I do think that people that politicians need to reflect on that and make sure that we have a system that's fair to everybody concerned mm-hmm. where people can't refuse to go before committees which we're increasingly seeing as well because they're seen as um, operating unfairly. You have mm-hmm. a lot of witnesses now refusing to go which isn't acceptable either because nobody should be above that recourse but you also have to make sure the committees are done in a way that they Be upheld by court because what's the point if people are going to flout? the mm. rules and then it means that uh, cases are won elsewhere then that also has Shaun, a
2: us see. So look at the Senate though I mean unfortunately um, those, that questioning that interpretation is invariably down um, party lines that's the problem you know you don't see a, justice, a just situation in the Senate in the US we look at Brett Kavanaugh for example and the abuse you know uh, that either he got depending on what side you're on you know or, or you know the defendant got as well so um, that's the problem. Problem. And, and also there's the motivation behind some of the politicians. Obviously, everybody wants to see these eroctrus committees pursue again the detail. Um, but obviously there's so much showboating that takes place which is just kind of bombastic and actually, you know, counterproductive mm. in the long term. And that's why you have people like Angela Kearns and other people saying, mm. Well, actually I just felt bullied. I didn't feel like justice <laughs> was 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 being considered at all. But Maybe. to finish up as well on the Dennis O'Brien stuff, like Well, it always
1: makes me laugh when I see how journalists are portrayed in television programs. Like if you watch The Wire or uh, more recently there was a a, a TV program called The Press, like we can sometimes be perceived as these kind of like dirty dogs who are down in the sewers kind of trying to get the story about someone who doesn't want it Got out there people's beans. like <laughs> that's our job but also a newspaper not, not the sewer
0: crawling dish, no, no but <laughs> i mean
1: that and uh, our job is to speak truth to power without fear or favor and like a newspaper or a radio program like this is a perfect reflection of what the audience of that particular product wants to read it's it's reflected in the pages that, you know, whatever level of importance, say, for instance, today in the Sunday Independent, it's all about um, Clodagh Hall, and her sister is writing mm. a really harrowing piece inside well, that we're we'll going to talk be talking about time. later. And obviously there's huge interest in this case and some people might say well that's a bit macabre like why are we talking about this it's an awful thing it's, it's a better murder suicide but that woman is now trying to change the law to make sure that if this ever happens again that things are a bit easier for the people that come in the future mm. so you know seeing the media as an instrument of change is the way it, in which to view us not as someone who is trying to kind of get their own back on a politician or a public figure or someone who they want to do down it's about reflecting what the public are saying and the public mood and the public anger Um, and certainly I think during those banking inquiry years you know I used to go on to Vincent Brown's programme a lot Mm. and people would come up to me in the street and kind of like shake my hand and say like oh god the public wanted heads on plates at that time you know around the banking crisis no one could understand why people's houses were being repossessed on the one hand and on the other hand there was all this money for banks people were losing their jobs and yet the the most wealthy in society were seen as getting away but with But when something. people
0: want heads on plates then isn't there the danger that the media can get caught up in that yeah. frenetic bloodlust and there, that they start then demanding things there that aren't is, necessarily but again irrational. this is
1: about reflecting back what people want to hear and everybody has the right to defend themselves and everybody has a right to their good name you know so anybody when a journalist first contacts them and by the way no one ever writes a story without getting in touch with the main protagonist and saying or their lawyer and saying here's what we're writing what's your response it's not some cloak and dagger thing where we go oh there may or may not be a story going into the newspaper oftentimes there is significant back and forth between For weeks, you and months. a lawyer mm. um you know and and i'm not particularly well versed in in sort of how to deal with solicitors in that regard of good understanding of the workings of libel Mm and defamation laws but you can get very very bogged down before you ever even get a story into the newspapers everyone is always given a right to reply on these
0: things Uh, We do want to talk about that Clola Hall story that you do mention that piece that's been written in the Sunday Independent by Jacqueline Connolly and some of the issues that it raises and speaking of the media being agents for change some of the changes that they're looking for Uh, Gavin Riley from Virgin Media News Mm -hmm. with you until 1 o'clock this afternoon on News Talk 53106 is our text number back in just a moment On the
1: Record On the Record
0: On News Talk. Welcome back, Gavin Riley, on on the record with you this morning on News Talk. Five three one zero six is our text number at a cost of thirty cents. Still joined by my newspaper panel: Avril Power, Shona Murray, and Neve Lyons. Um, Avril, I want to come to you about uh, the piece that's dominated the Sunday Independent this morning. It's uh, a piece that's written by Jacqueline Connolly, the sister of uh, Clodagh Hall, who of course was was murdered alongside her three children uh, by her partner, Alan, in twenty sixteen. There's some quite interesting pieces and, and we could talk at length about um, the first personage of it all. But I suppose the one thing that's really striking is that this is a family that's clearly in terrible distress and desperately wants to try and, you know, piece together some answers or some basis for why things happened as they did. And yet it seems that two and a half years on that the state is, you know, not deliberately, but that the circumstances of it all conspire to leave a family in continued anguish and agony. And it just all seems desperately unfair.
3: I think it's a really heartbreaking piece. I'm um, in the Sunday Independent. That yeah, as you said, it just you can see how the system and the way that it's not really set up as best it could be to support victims, um, has compounded this family's pain. And I think that there's so many things that we need to look at. Um from the family's right to know and the fact that they've learned a lot about um, their sister's death from the media um, mm. and how how torturous that must be to be getting just kind of little drips of information about what happened. Um, their pain in trying to look back over you know, the sci- signs that potentially were there that, that weren't, you know, that they didn't spot at, at the time, like the fact that he insisted on picking the bridesmaid dresses and walking her down the aisle, just little kind of Signals of inappropriate control, but that you know f- that th- they didn't realize that that's what it was. Mm. Um, and often you know, you see in our even our, our coverage on domestic violence and how we you know, deal with this as a society, often you know, coverage after yet another woman has been murdered by her partner talks about what a great fella he was, and yeah. the, you know, pillar of the community mm. and involved now in the GA's, a teacher, piece too. a teacher, all of that. And we really have to, you know, the. the Ordinary men do horrific things mm. to their partners, people who seem like ordinary men outside the home. And I think that's one of the lessons from this is how we deal with domestic violence as a society, how we ha- spot inappropriate signs in our own fa- if, um, partners, of our, our family members, our friends, how we reach out and help people to get out of those situations. I'm mm. um, particularly, like, the uh, research would show that a woman typically is assaulted 34 times, 35 times before reporting it to the police. And yet we still don't have enough shelter spaces that when a woman leaves, she knows that she'll have somewhere safe for herself and her kids. Mm. Um, So I think all of those things are really important. And even just in this, like basic things, like changing the Succession Act, the fact that his estate is, uh, that their family assets have gone to his family and not hers. Mm. um, Because he he was alive, he was the last one alive all of that we need to, there's just so many things we need to do to make sure we deal with this issue better and particularly provide better supports for families
0: Yeah of course this all became um, so high profile not only of course because of the, the absolutely awful circumstances of the murder of, of Clodagh and of the three boys Liam, uh, Niall and Ryan as well but also because of the social media outreach that there was at the time the hashtag her name hmm. was Clodagh because mm-hmm. so much of the coverage um, focused on you know ha- how Alan had appeared to be an upstanding member of society and actually Jacqueline's piece talks a little bit about that that she says that the, p- the person the media turned to most in the first few hours after the news broke was the local curate Father Phelim Kelly who no doubt in shock must have felt that the correct thing to do uh, was tell the nation that quote Master Hall of Castle Rahan National School where Father Kelly was on the board of management was well regarded and some media outlets eulogised the murderer to the point of almost ignoring the murdered and thus the hashtag her name is Clodagh went viral. Um, which I suppose Sean, it, it almost harks back to what we were talking about in the first part that it's a reminder of the responsibilities of the media that sometimes you you can get caught up in the narrative of what drives a good citizen to do this stuff when actually you really ought to be talking about the people who are most exactly. affected who are the four and, actually we've, and we've
2: all been guilty of it I guess because people the media then descend on a, mm. a tragic scenario and they want to talk to <coughs> neighbours and uh, try and get an idea of what might have been going on in the family home prior to it and almost invariably people say oh no no this is uh, obviously just a once off they had uh, mental health issues which uh, re- which you know, ended up uh, in this in this scenario and nobody actually drills down to the nature of the control that the that this man, Alan Haw had over his family. And I think for anyone who hasn't seen that interview on Claire Byrne, I think go to the RT Re- R- iPlayer and watch it because I haven't been able to stop thinking about it. since yeah. I watched mm-hmm. it actually. I saw I watched it back on Tuesday night when I was away and the detail like as Avril said, you know, he decided what bridesmaid dresses her sister was wearing. He walked her down the aisle. He had control over everything. The mother and, the, and the, her sister Jacqueline and Mary, the mm. mother and sister, talked about how they they never got to see Clodagh on her own throughout the years, but they assumed that she was happy. And then what I thought was really striking was um, when it became apparent to marry her mother, because Clodagh was supposed to they were supposed to meet that morning and she was late and she was never late and if she was ever late she'd let them know that she'd be 10 minutes late Mm. and Mary drove to the house and immediately assumed that something awful would happen. Like why would you, um, I I just couldn't Mm. believe it. Like you never think because somebody is 10 or 15 minutes late and you drive to the house that the next part is to assume that their husband has Murdered them in cold blood, and that's what she did. She couldn't go into the house. She said she went to a neighbor's house mm. Mm. because she made the assumption straight away that something incredibly violent would happen. And unfortunately, her her fears were justified. So that must have there must have been something innate mm. in her to I suppose or, it maybe it's a mother daughter thing picked up on mm. or what intuition exactly there is. Exactly that, yeah. And and, and so anyway, um, the what Jacqueline is writing about today. I mean, it, it's just it's quite shocking. Again, the guardie officially denied their lawyer access to their investigation files, this is of their their sister and their, um, niece, their, their nephews and they still haven't got that right to information which is a huge problem in this state when it comes to so many other things including adoption records etc that's so patriarchal and then the Succession Act the fact that actually the, the Alan Hall after he murdered in cold blood his wife transferred uh, assets to him mm. himself so that his family have the assets and they don't have you know and they her, her mum and sister have no access to any of this and another really astonishing part was that they decided in their grief stupor that they would be, fam- be buried as a family yeah. uh, and the next day uh, Jacqueline and Mary realised we can't talk to Claudette why is he in this grave yes. mm. and they bid to have him exhumed naturally because they wanted to, you know he was toxic in there yeah. and uh, and then they got abuse from a key- so called keyboard warriors trolls saying you know how dare you? How dare yeah, you make this decision? Disturbing the grave. The whole thing it. is just astonishing. And it's only 2016. It sounds like something mm. that would have happened in, this, yeah. in the 50s, you know, this man controlling and the patriarchal nature of the state. Yeah. But it's 2016 and actually we're still fighting for all these things now. I, I
0: was actually very struck by that moment and just how the the whole interview was extraordinary, but just how articulately they were able to, to put across their absolute horror when they had dawned on them that they'd put all five in the same plot and if everything around that. Um, Neve, the, the tragic thing of course is that this is not the first case of femicide <coughs> there have been um, others um, before then no doubt there'll be others in the future too um, but that there still hasn't been any move to try and deal with that whole uh, area of succession and estates and that mm. although uh, I think Jim O'Callaghan has tabled a private yeah, members to try and get this, around it that, that it's this, been caught in the logjam
1: Yeah this could be the turning point for that a lot of what they have raised with Charlie Flanagan this week and God you just have to look at their strength in even being able to do this Um but the succession area is certainly one. That is something that has come up before, although in a slightly separate case with Celine Cawley, mm. Um that no one who is involved in a murder should ever benefit from any part of an estate. And that would seem quite obvious. Um, but there are a whole load of issues to do, not just with uh, ownership rights, but your rights and entitlements to where you live are, are all mixed up in that. Um, I think it's interesting though, you know, when, when, when that initial, her, her comments about what the priest initially said, I think the Gardaí have a huge role to play here. We're quite behind the times in how we handle these cases um, from a public information mm. perspective. If you look... In the UK, if something like that happens, Mm. a press conference is held and questions are answered, in this country, everything is described as an operational matter. You don't get any information, which basically then sends people burrowing underground for any information they can find, which can be leaked for all the wrong reasons Mm. from inside the Gardaí for some reason. And it's why there's
0: such a strange culture between the press and the the, the Gardaí here, because they're not allowed to talk on the record in most cases. if, if,
1: if, 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 you know, the public... Again, there's a public interest element to this case, so obviously news cameras from your own Virgin Media or from Orte went down. They would have been stonewalled initially by the Gardaí until the Gardaí were ready to speak about it. Um, They would have gone to the likes of the priest, the likes of the local school. They would have spoken to people at that point in time. No one would have known what had happened inside. It could have been something like a gas leak. Mm. So, you know, when people start saying things like, oh, you know, the media are saying that he was this really good guy. The media would have been operating on the information it had at that moment. It is then after that fact, I I think in those situations, the Gardaí should scramble an immediate press conference and say, this is a case of high sensitivity. It is a murder-suicide. And... That is the vein through which the investigation will be but followed. we still
2: make assumptions about the uh, mental health of Alan Hall, maybe in a sympathetic way, yes. and mm. start applying, you know, um, oh that this is just an individual case of mental health. And rather that than family a actual, really do seem yeah. to be taking issue with
1: the notion that that is even out there at all. It's as far as they understood, that was a happy family. And even though there did seem to be kind of unusual behaviour, I'm not sure they'd pieced all that together. I think no. they, mm. they thought that they were just, yeah. you know, a Particular type it of is a cultural thing in this private. country
2: when it comes to domestic violence and the police have been sort of or the guardian have been criticised and, ha- you know, rightfully over the years about how they deal with mm. domestic violence. You know, it's a private matter, even though you're talking about like yeah. large scale um Attacks on women. Mm. You know, Avril, you said like women don't report anything till they're thirty-five times maybe have been hit or abused. You know, you see women with you know (coughs) broken cheekbones and serious violence against them. And the fact that those patterns, domestic, yeah,
1: those patterns aren't examined after the fact. So in most other countries, there will be kind of case conferences or there are reviews of these type of incidents, where everything that happened, whether there was any red flags, whether there were any signals, whether there was any interaction between the Family and their social services or any other authorities before that's all looked into and in this country we don't do that and something the National Women's Council
2: is and calling for And maybe hospitals yeah. and others should be, yeah. should, be, should be mandatory to talk to police or give some sort of reporting when they see a woman who's clearly in a situation where she's being abused uh, present herself in hospital but is clearly again chilling effect mm. uh, too frightened to report anything against the perpetrator which is generally her partner.
0: Yeah we have a couple of texts in about this actually and a few people have made the point which of course is a point that does need to be made that no all, not all ordinary men do this to their partners one text uh, says that ordinary men do not do things like this ordinary men defend and take care of their families please condemn this monster and don't conflate his actions to all men which of course is of course a, we a valid do. point oh, and, and, right. Right. and
1: frankly the fact that this is news is because it's so rare thankfully mm.
0: thankfully uh, another anonymous text uh, is someone who's taking another perspective on it says that my wife was exactly the same she planned most of my stag before our wedding and then became more controlling afterwards it led to physical assault when I gave my female female colleague a lift to a train station without her permission after her car broke down one time my wife is well educated considers herself a pillar of society and it is very hard for men to tell their story also that's an anonymous text um, there was a tweet yesterday from, from Women's Aid which doesn't encapsulate this all very well remembering Kathy Ward who was 41 Elzbieta Piotrowska who was 57 mm-hmm. Jasmine McMonagle 27 all have been murdered in Ireland this year in two cases men have been charged with murder and in one a male suspect is in custody we must break the pattern of male violence against women hashtag femicide um, it is, of course, also for anyone who is affected by the discussion we're having, um, that the uh, the twenty four hour Women's Aid National Free Phone Helpline is available at one eight hundred three four one nine zero zero. That's one eight hundred three four one nine zero zero. I hope
1: that gentleman as well decides to speak to someone that text you just read out because that is totally abnormal behaviour, and he should definitely speak to somebody about that.
0: Uh, absolutely, and there are of course other listening services available too. Samaritans one one six one two three is also available for free twenty four hours a day. Um, It is now 11.39, almost 11.40, which is possibly a record for how long it has taken us to get to Brexit, which I think we (laughs) all should commend ourselves a little bit. Um, There has been a a little bit of, um, not necessarily development this morning, but Liam Fox, who is the UK's International Trade Secretary, has been speaking to Andrew Morrow on the BBC about a possible delay and what exactly the UK might intend if it were to delay Article 50 and delay Brexit.
1: Uh, Number one would be, uh, if we had an agreement, but we needed time to get the legalities done, to mm. get the legislation through Parliament that gave effect to the, the change. Really. Te- what you might call an administrative extension which I don't think anyone would no. disagree with. Uh, the second would be because we had no deal and we wanted more time to prepare the practicalities on both sides. Because we're not that. really ready
2: for that at the well, moment it, we?
1: there, there may well There may well be improvements that could be made to that. The third option would be that there was an attempt for us not to leave at all. Now I think that's where you come constitutionally unstuck because I think that to uh, attempt uh, to have a delay mechanism in order to thwart the process of Brexit itself is actually politically completely unacceptable.
0: Uh, Liam Fox, the UK's Trade Secretary, speaking to Andrew Marr on the BBC this morning. Um, Avril Power, it strikes me that that all might sound very rational, that if they were to delay, it might be just to tie up the loose odds and ends. But it all, again, seems to be in a general theme of discussion where Britain says, oh, all of this is in hand, it'll just be a nice little tidying up thing. When really the gulf is still massive between the two sides.
3: Yeah, I mean, to delay might appear inconvenient, but to push ahead when you've no idea how anything is going to work after 29th of March mm-hmm. is utterly insane. I'm um, given the implications for, for the UK, for ourselves and for um, all of Europe. I mean, from an Irish point of view, there's so many issues that still need to be resolved. Our two countries are so interconnected in terms of the common travel area, the Irish people working and studying in the UK and vice versa. I'm um, pensioners. Uh, Irish people are entitled to UK pensions and, and, and vice versa and cross-border trade. But I mean, from our point of view in the Irish Cancer Society, one of our concerns would be related to health. I'm... Mm. Um, because again our health systems are so interconnected there are I've six thousand Irish people last year available of the cross border health directive where you're able to get treatment um, in mm. the UK that you, people can't get here. And largely the, the
0: cancer centre in Alton and Galvin, I presume. Yeah.
3: So um, so from yeah, from a can- so that would be people using all kinds of different services. So the treatment abroad broad scheme would enable people to get specialised care like paediatric organ transport transplantation, mm. cardiology, and oncology services. But also people in Donegal get radiotherapy in Derry and Galvin in Derry. And there are patients from the north who come down to uh, come down to Dublin for treatments that they can't get in the north. I'm um, many life saving treatments that they need to get. And from a medicines point of view, many of our medicines come from or through the UK. Um, so the, the health issues here are absolutely huge so it was it was good to see the f- government put through legislation during the week to try and bring as much certainty to this as possible i yeah. um, but really so much of it is is still so uncertain and is a real concern for patients um
0: Shona Murray does it seem fair to you from from Brussels that there is any sense of of budging or is this entirely now a case of waiting for the UK to meet their position
2: for Budge on what I mean even that comment there from Liam Fox like, it's irritating you know you don't say that there might be a delay because of legislation when we, when on the 12th of March they're going to have a vote and then another vote and then another vote and you think by the 29th of March you're going to have the legislation drawn up on pass. <laughs> we thought this was going I to mean, be tidied up four months ago. Yeah. The other patronising part of that comment alone was he didn't mention the other elephant in the room is that the delay will have to probably be longer and will you have to hold uh, European Parliament elections and he's not even telling the British public mm. look guys um, we may have to ho- um, have seats for 73 MEPs and fund all these elections Mm. just to possibly leave if there's a second referendum. But he's not even discussing the reality of the situation on the ground. And consistently, and it's in all the papers again, Britain's still looking for changes to the withdrawal agreement that will actually end up diluting the backstop by saying, you know, we want it temporary, we want guarantees is it's only going to be temporary. The backstop has to be permanent, guys. Like, I mean, as in it can only apply maybe for a temporary period until the future relationship mm. is agreed. But it can't be revoked. But in 15 years' time, they might need to imply the backstop again because you might have another government that says, actually, we want to move away from the EU further and then the flags go up and the EU will say, if you want to move away from this free trade agreement we agreed then we will have to apply the backstop so you know we're still talking about the idea that this backstop is going to apply for maybe 18 months it's not and I just find I it's still irritating that senior <laughs> cabinet ministers are still not being truthful to the British public uh,
0: Speaking of our own senior cabinet ministers Neve, uh, b- very briefly please there's a piece in the Sunday Independent today that suggests that Leo Varadkar has now told our senior cabinet mm. ministers that if it is to be extended it will probably be until the end of June possibly because if you go beyond Beyond that, yeah. as Shona has said, there needs to be European elections. But I'm struck that if they ha- Britain hasn't moved much in the four months since there was a deal, then they're not going to move much in the next three. Uh, yeah, and
1: I, I'm surprised if Theresa May wanted um, to delay it any further. I think her whole modus operandi here, it's a strategy to bring people to the precipice, show them how bad it can get. Also, let's forget, we're closer to a soft Brexit now than ever because Parliament mm. is very unlikely to vote for a hard Brexit when it gets the opportunity. Now, it's likely that it'll vote down the deal, then it'll get another Opportunity. The other interesting thing, as Shona said, MEPs are elected in May. We may have two MEPs that are then essentially put into cold storage, mm. as, it, as mm. it's being called. Now, give me one politician on earth who isn't going to sue under those circumstances. So it opens up just a whole Pandora's box across Europe of, of of issues in that regard.
0: They might not sue, though, if they are paid for the pri- the privilege of not being acting MEPs. Well, you're not but
1: an MEP until you sit on, in,
2: in Parliament. So well, I'm actually, the they see- wouldn't...
0: Very, very briefly Just Shana,
2: like you're, you're talking about Brussels like the, the who, what are these MEPs going to be like are they going to be like just a load of UKippers, right yeah. 73 of them who, who aim to disrupt the European Union mm. when they get into the European Parliament Brussels doesn't want that either and this Brexit thing is becoming such a distraction that the goodwill and yeah. the faith is at an all time low
0: It does present as uh, something of a natural deadline
2: uh, We still have a little bit of uh,
0: a few things to get through so we're going to take a quick break Gavin Riley with you on, on the record back with our panel in just a moment
1: on the record.
0: On the record. On News Talk. Welcome back, Gavin Riley, with you until one o'clock uh, this morning on On the Record. 53106 is our text number at a cost of 30 cents. Um, Avril Power, uh, you and the Irish Cancer Society had some pretty striking research out during the week about um, the ban which is supposed to apply on under 18s accessing sunbeds and how it's not really always being applied.
3: Yeah, well, it's been illegal for under-18s to use commercial sunbeds since 2014. Um, The Irish Cancer Study wanted to see if sunbed operators were complying with it. We were getting anecdotal reports that teenagers as young as 14, 15, 16 were being allowed to use sunbeds. Um, So we sent mystery shoppers, so we sent teenagers to 40 salons in the greater Dublin area and were horrified to find that two in five salons didn't even ask them their age, let alone ask for ID. And this is really... Um, shocking because the sunbed legislation is there to protect young people because they're at the greatest risk of skin cancer. Um and sunbeds emit UV radiation that's over ten times higher than the Mediterranean sun. I think, you know, 10 many times people aren't higher. yeah. People really aren't aware of how dangerous they are. There were 150,000 Irish people who used sunbeds last year, which Mm. I think is an incredible number. Um, But I think what would worry me, look, at the end of the day, adults can make decisions for themselves. But what worries me is people aren't aware of how dangerous it is. Sunbed use is as bad for you from a cancer perspective as smoking. That's the reason why it's rated as a class one carcinogen by the International Agency on Research on Cancer. And um, so it's just it's really important that adults are aware that it's that dangerous and that young people are protected and the law is enforced so that if if, uh, if salons are breaching the law, that they're penalised for that. So
0: then that's the question then, then if the, the law is already there and if it's not being applied, then how do you make sure that there is still that chilling effect for want of a better way do you increase the sanction or how exactly yeah, do you d- get around it? I think that?
3: there's a need to hire more environmental health officers and um, the people who enforce the sunbed legislation are the same people who enforce uh, rules on sale of tobacco and, and alcohol um, and there simply aren't enough of them so we need more inspectors going around carry out inspections and premises and tougher penalties the current fines are only €5,000 and the our survey that such a high level of non-compliance would indicate that sunbed operators are not afraid mm. A. of getting caught or B of being hit with tough fines and that needs to change um, Daffodil Day
0: is on March the 22nd have you have to give any thought to bringing it forward because of how climate change means that all the daffodils are out already and might not <laughs> be around by then
3: um, Well I think it's it's we always do it on the third Friday of March and I think it's kind of it's a fixture in people's diaries all across the country we couldn't make Daffodil Day happen without the thousands of volunteers in every village town community in Ireland that get out on the streets to raise money for people affected mm. by cancer and it's such an important Day because last year our nurses, volunteers, and staff helped thousands of people affected by cancer. But increased ma- demand meant we couldn't reach everyone in need. And we don't just want to provide an excellent service to some cancer patients, we want to be there for everyone who needs us. But our money comes, our funding, Gavin, 98% comes from the state, Our 98% comes from the public, we only get 2% from the state. So we can't provide those vital services without even greater public support this after day.
0: Um, Shona Murray, you mm. have been looking at some of the coverage in the papers of the uh, the two nuclear skirmishes that might perhaps be breaking out. Firstly, obviously, India, Pakistan, but skirmish. obviously also, <laughs> the, well, let's try and downplay it as, as merely a skirmish, but the summit in Hanoi earlier in the week yeah. between Kim Jong-un and Donald Trump and how Donald Trump started out the week demanding a Nobel Prize and ended the week saying now just isn't the right time to denuclearise. I
2: just think we saw an example of how dangerous uh, amateur Donald Trump is when it comes to navigating or manoeuvring important geopolitics like, uh, such as North Korea or even dealing with countries like Pakistan or India. I mean, if you look at the commentary that he gave with that meeting with Kim Jong Un, it was blood boiling. You know, mm. his, he I take him at his word that he didn't know about Otto Warmbier, the death of what, what the American kid. He has a habit of taking a people at their words, doesn't he? Yeah, it? well, when he wants, not not not, uh, not Michael Cohen, not Michael <laughs> Cohen, but yeah, exactly. But um, you know, the Otto Wombrier was a young kid who was sentenced to 15 years hard labor in North Korea. was set was then given back to his parents in an awful state where he died. You know, days later, you're talking about Kim Jong Un, who is a man guilty of crimes against humanity forced abortions rape starvation of his own people and Donald Trump saying he's a great guy his amateur nature when it comes to dealing with North Korea he he actually decided to have this summit without first negotiating with the North Koreans what exactly they would both get at the end of it you don't go to an EU summit never mind mm. a North Korean summit with a nuclear power without deciding yeah, with the, the conclusions hands are to done guide, the conclusion already exactly I they loved are. the irony that while Michael Cohen was giving
1: his testimony talking about Draft Dodger and Chief Donald Trump, who escaped going to Vietnam because of bone spurs that were never even operated on. He's over in Vietnam, you know, <laughs> pretending to, yeah. you know, be entitled to a Nobel Peace Prize, but actually, it's 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 scary that it's kind of normalizing dictators now. That's kind of yeah. what he's well, doing. He's Putin he, with
2: China, exactly. Erdogan, you name Korea. it. And that's the problem. Everybody thinks you know <coughs> Trump is just <coughs> a bit of a joke. Trump mm. is uh, denigrating the the world Democracy. order that has evolved since the since the Second World War War. and that's hugely problematic.
0: We're going to have to leave it there. I'm afraid Emma, we're completely out of time. My thanks to the panel this morning. Neve Lyons, who is political editor with the Ireland edition of The Times, Shona Murray, Europe correspondent with Euronews, and Avril Power, CEO of the Irish Cancer Society. Thank you all very much. Uh, just again, before we let you go for this hour, uh, the numbers again for some of those helplines um, Women's Aid, again, the free phone number, 1800 900. And also, if you are a man who has been suffering from domestic abuse as well, there is also a helpline run by Amen. That number is 046 90 That is 046 046- Back with more after this.